You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, a lot of sniffling and sneezing going on over there. Yeah, don't expect that to stop. Please tell me that's just allergies. I wish I could tell you it's just allergies. Please tell me that you did not just bring another pox into my household. Do you want me just to say that I did not do that? Because I did it. No, well, I, I can su- say otherwise. I suppose I better. want you to tell me the truth about what's going on health-wise. Well, my family's been passing around this cold for last couple weeks. Wouldn't you know it, I managed to hold off, fight off the cold uh, until I have to wake up at 2.30 in the morning and watch a fight card from Singapore. Maybe oh, right. that, so you're going to blame UFC Singapore. Maybe that did not help my immune system. Um, and then... As soon as the late June rainy season here in Missoula, Montana comes to an end and we got blue blue skies and sunshine once again, your boy is sniffling and sneezing up a storm. I look forward to getting this cold somewhere around the end of the week. Yeah. And then uh, I assume my family will pass it around next week. Get your sleep. That's what I'm going to tell you. Get you your sleep. Take catch- your vitamins. Say your prayers. You know the drill. Catch- you're saying catch up on my sleep now. As soon as I leave here. Get a good five, six hours in. Well, I was planning on doing that anyway. Okay. Once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you in part by Fulton and Rourke. Even here in the icy north, summer is in full swing. And that makes this the perfect tri- time to grab some Fulton and Rourke aftershave cloths. I have a box of them myself in the bathroom cabinet at all times. You know, since I work from home, I don't shave every day. Uh-huh. But when I do... I grab some of those Fulton & Rourke aftershave aftershave cloths and soothe the old face immediately afterward. And let me tell you, the aftershave cloths are good for a lot more than just immediately after shaving. That's right, Chad. Formulated with witch hazel, eucalyptus, and tea tree oil, these individually packaged towelettes are the perfect way to refresh yourself in the middle of the day when jumping in the shower just ain't an option. Whether you just hopped off a plane, finished a long, intense meeting, or merely stood outside in some 700% humidity weather, a quick wipe down with one of the aftershave cloths and you're certain to feel better. The cooling and toning formula not only feels nice on your skin, it also helps remove dirt and oil so you can cut down on that super shiny look that you particularly get uh, and save yourself some blemishes later. I don't get shiny. You're shiny right now. I'm not shiny. You're shiny as a motherfucker. Need more convincing? How about these apples? Fulton and Rourke's Aftershave Cloths just won a Men's Health Grooming Award for 2018 for Best Aftershave. And just in case you're already a fan of Fulton & Rourke's shampoo and body wash, the guys over at Fulton & Rourke decided it was time to go big. So they just introduced a 33-ounce virgin, which I need, because I just found out my wife has been using mine without asking. Just go to FultonAndRourke.com today and hook yourself up. As always, you can use the promo code CME for 15% off your first order. Again, that's FultonAndRourke.com. Ben, how you doing on the uh, Tito Ortiz autobiography? Whew. It is a, it's a journey. You tell me it's a haul. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna act like I have not enjoyed it in a way, but uh, there are times when I've been sitting around thinking like, all right, I I got a few minutes, I can read something. Do I want to read Tito Ortiz's book? And I had to have to take a, like a mental inventory to be like, are you ready for that right now? Are you maybe too psychologically vulnerable to let Tito Ortiz into your head right now? Maybe another time. 
No, I, I hear you because like I got three kids over here. It's not like I have an infinite amount of time. But right, don't you to want read, to... to read books? So it's like end of the day, laying my head down at night. I got a couple minutes. I'm going to read a book, and then I have to face the choice: Do I want to spend that time finding out what was going on in Chuck Liddell's early adolescence? Maybe you want to spend that time finding out what was going on in Chuck Liddell's hotel room after a big title fight. We'll get there, man. We'll get there. I'm just saying. It's like push, you're not there yet. Pushing a rock up a hill. We're doing this what next week? No, it's not next week, right? To... Didn't we say the 13th? Oh, okay. We got time. Got two weeks. We got time to plow through this, as I assume the listeners at home do. And in fact, they got time to still jump on board, right? That's right. They do. Or they got time to not read either of the books and still enjoy the book club podcast if they are members on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash co-main event. Also, you know what is next week? Our Brunch of, a Champ- Brunch of Champions streaming event uh, next Friday as we hi- get hyped up for Red, White, and Fight Week. Wouldn't miss it. Friday morning, we'll say around 10 a.m.-ish in the one true time zone. We're going to check in on how the weigh-ins are going, get hyped up for UFC 226 the next day. Yeah. you're assume, I assume going to bring muffins, something. Yeah, I'll bring some pastries, some kind of something or other. Maybe we'll go donuts this time. What do you think about that? Yeah, donuts. Why not? Uh, we got music this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez, a producer out of Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, goddamn action movie character Donald Cerrone lost a unanimous decision to Leon Edwards over the weekend in Singapore. So why do we get the feeling that Colonel Troutman is just going to keep dragging him back into the shit with one more big mission? And in round number two, Bellator is out here making moves. We see you, Bellator. And in round number three, there's hashtag too much shit going on at UFC 226 to handle in just one show. So we're going to start wetting our beaks this week, thereby probably cursing that event to a bunch of late injuries, sicknesses, and bus attacks. You're welcome. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first... Like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Now, Ben, at this point, the co-main event podcast has a roving reporter. Yeah. We got a stringer, basically. We got our guy, the Great Dane, attending MMA events all over the damn Midwest. You'll remember he was at UFC 225 and wrote us in about whether or not we were done with the CM Punk experiment. Right. Now we got this one, which is a detailed report out of the this past week's Pro Fighters League event. And I know that we wanted to spend some time on the podcast talking about PFL2, so I figured maybe we could just hit up the Great Dane's bullet points here in listener mail uh, and talk about that event a little bit. I mean, how far are we away from, if you hold a MMA event in the greater Chicagoland area, you have to give the Great Dane a, a media credential, just oh. so he can report back to the CME podcast. I mean, the, we'll, we, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Turn in a couple of uh, credential requests. All written in crayon and shit. <laughs> Lots of misspellings and whatnot. All right, here we go. Great Dane writes, as the reporter on the ground at PFL2 last week, here are my notes. So we're basically getting a reporter's notebook. I like it. From Aaron Dane. Uh, Point number one, Jason High got screwed, and he was mad, like really mad. Did you see this, Ben? (laughs) Yes, I did. All right, first of all, Jason High did get screwed, right? Like he got unbelievably screwed in this fight Uh, against, what was it, Efrain Escudero? That's right. Uh to my viewing, I watched a little bit of PFL, not the whole thing. Uh, did not look like Jason High tapped, and yet the referee moves in to call off the fight. And at that point, that's a done deal. You can't yep. do nothing at that point. Uh, 
Well, and Efren Escudero's response was basically, yeah, I was probably, I was going to beat him anyway, though, which, come on, that's, we all know that's not how that works. And we've seen this, we've seen this before in the UFC. Remember, I remember Matt Wyman, I think it was, who got, I don't know if he was the one who got screwed or if he was on the other end of the screw job where the referee stepped in when he shouldn't have thinking that he was out. And then, and the UFC's response was, yes, we recognize that as a screw job. Let's run it back. But this one, it was just kind of like, well, all right, we're all just kind of going to agree Jason High got screwed, and that's too bad, but we're moving on. Well, yeah, is this part of the tournament? Is this part of, like, the cabillion-dollar well, tournament? is what they're doing right now. They're oh. doing the season. You get points, and then that kind of de- determines who enters. I don't even know if they want to call it a tournament. That's what we're in the season mode right now. So we're running this thing. Play. We're running this thing like the World Cup. A little bit. Okay. Well, yeah, like you, you can't if you're if you're Jason High, you can't get that back, right? No, and it seems like everybody is just kind of going to agree, like, yeah, we think you probably got screwed, but we're not going to do anything about it because this is MMA. I say again, these refs need help. I mean, you got to have some kind of safety valve, right? I, I mean, you, you can't use it in every single instance. But I would think in a situation where, like this, where a dude obviously gets a fight called off in an instance where he didn't tap, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to try to redress that, like, at the at the time, right? Well, what you, would you, you do, though? You're not going to, like, put them back in the choke and be like, yeah, man, and just, go. Just restart that shit. I mean, why not? Like, which is better? Restart them on the feet or the dude gets a loss that he doesn't deserve? I mean, I think the most just outcome here would be a no contest due to referee error. I don't know if that if they allow for that exact wording, but like a no contest here seems like the only fair way because you can't put them back in the choke and be like, okay, all right, are you ready? Ready? Now go. Like in kind of old pride style where we're just going to try no, to No, I see what away. you're saying, but I'm saying instead of like having the fight end in disaster, like I think it would be better to just like restart him, even though in that instance, Efren Escudero loses his advantage. Yeah, he gets screwed fight. in the way. Well, both guys, both guys end up like getting screwed. No contest. Only way to do it. This is another point from the Great Dane. Kayla Harrison looks intriguing, raw, athletic, and big, uh, but I'm not sure who she fights next. That kind of perfectly sums it up yep. for me uh, about Kayla Harrison. Like you, you, she's enormous for starters. I was watching this with my wife, and my wife said she looks like if I stare too hard at the TV, she will reach out through the screen and punch me in the face. <laughs> like, well, yeah, and she's right now fighting in a weight class that basically doesn't exist for women's MMA. Yeah, that's, Lightweight is basically super heavyweight for women's MMA. That's the biggest problem I, that I see with, with Kayla Harrison. Otherwise, man, uh, she looks like she could do some things. She's out there with the, uh, the, the multiple-time gold medal, Olympic gold medal judo skills. She's clearly in terrific athletic condition. Uh, she seems like, a, like kind of a... a a wonderful person in a way, like likable, like you want to turn tune in to watch her fight. Like unjaded Ronda Rousey. I I, I was trying to avoid making that comparison. There's no way to you avoid. You went it. ahead and say, See, this, said I, it. So let's say the anti Ronda Rousey in some ways. Well, I, I wrote a thing about this earlier today. I don't know if it's up yet or not, but about kind of the pros and cons if you if you're thinking about hype jumping on the hype train for Kayla Harrison because you're right. Like there is a lot to like so far. Uh, the weight class issue is one thing. Um, the question of who she's gonna Fight is another. I mean, because PFL has every reason to want to push somebody like Kayla Harrison. You know, pretty much she's the whole ball game as far as what you got as like homegrown female talent. Uh, so, yeah, sure, you can go get a bunch of featherweights and convince them to come up and, and fight her if you want to. Eventually, it's going to get old. But also, the comparisons to Ronda Rousey, like there's zero chance that people in MMA are just going to let Kayla Harrison be herself without these constant comparisons. Like, 
blonde Olympic likable charismatic judoka comes into MMA wins round first round armbar. Come on. Oh well, okay. Well, so what? This is hard to say. Well, this is hard to predict. But like, what's the future of Kayla Harrison as far as you see it? Because like, the two knocks against her, I guess, would be that number one, there's nobody really to fight at 155 pounds that we know of, especially in PFL. And what I was gonna say, number two, that she's over there in PFL, right? So like. I don't necessarily know how high the ceiling is. It seems like she's a blue chip A-list prospect, but I, but but honestly, I just don't know what can be done with her. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a bunch of Kayla Harrison versus opponent kind of fights over and over again. But, you know, she's 1-0 in MMA right now, so maybe that's not such a bad thing to give her some time to develop a little bit. Uh, and obviously, if you're just looking at, like, comparing judo records she's kind of got ronda rousey there so the question is can she fill out the other areas of her game but also not make the mistake that not just ronda rousey but so many people have made where you know you're a grappler you you spend a year and a half working on your boxing suddenly you think you're a boxer and next thing you know you're running into somebody who really is and you get knocked out like can she flesh out the rest of her game without forgetting like who she is and where the strengths are uh, this will be a good time to kind of find that stuff out and, and feel her way through it all. Uh, I do think, though, the question is, like, can you get down to 145? And if you do, even that is kind of like the the hinterlands of women's MMA. And the question is going to immediately become, if you can make 145 and win fights there, everybody's going to be like, okay, but could you beat Cyborg? Right. I was just going to say, you don't want to do this tomorrow, no. right? No. But, like, the elephant in the room for the Kayla Harrison MMA career, so long as they are both active, will be Chris Cyborg, right? And, like, Cyborg has this tenuous relationship with the UFC. So far, they've been able to make it work. But Cyborg keeps building these uh hard and fast end dates into her contract, right? Which is kind of unusual in a UFC contract where she'll have, like, her contract ends uh in October of next year, for example, uh, which the UFC doesn't do for everybody. But like, I wonder if it gets to the point where a fight between those two makes sense. Uh, if Kayla Harrison can do everything that she can do to, to sort of like raise her profile in pro fighters league or wherever she happens to end up. And cyborg, you know, ultimately doesn't work things out with the UFC again and again, as she's been able to do so far. Like that to me seems like the only real marquee fight to make for Kayla Harrison. And again, you don't want to make it tomorrow, but I guess, the additional point I would make to that is that that's sort of the case for everybody in women's MMA, right? Everybody in women's MMA who's anywhere around that weight, the ultimate question is, does she at some point fight Cyborg Justino? Right. Well, and that's going to be the other thing, though, working in, in her favor is that there's not all, that much to get excited about in kind of the higher weights at women's MMA right now, aside from Cyborg. So I think people are, are ready to be like, oh, okay, tell me more about Kayla Harrison. When's she going to fight again? Uh, if you're PFL you got to realize you got a potential good thing here, and you don't have like an endless amount of good things. All right, there's just a few more bullet points from a great Dane here. We can talk about whichever ones you want to. Brian Foster and Ramsey Nijem put on a crackerjack of a fight. Very fun to watch. Agreed. I thought Sean O'Connell was going to lose that fight right up until the moment he won. Can we talk about Sean O'Connell doing commentary before his fight? Because I mean, that, that is what I'm talking about. That's that's pretty awesome, and frankly, it feels like a page ripped out of the Donald Cerrone playbook. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, just like something he would do if you okay. gave him the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, 
to me, I was just because I remember hearing that when the field was announced, I was sort of being like, Sean O'Connell, I thought he retired, and I thought that when he retired, that was kind of a good idea that he comes back into this field and he's doing commentary on the same night that he fights. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, this is the right circumstance for him to come back through. This this reminds me of how Sean O'Connell ended up as one of the CME's guys. You know, what would have been the baller move would be to not tell anyone that Sean O'Connell was going to fight, and then he's down there doing commentary all of a sudden. His opponent comes out, doesn't have anyone in the cage with him. Uh, we're looking for somebody to fight Haunty Marks out here in the cage. Suddenly O'Connell stands up. Turns out the suit he's wearing is breakaway. Right? <laughs> Rip that sucker off, and he's got, his, uh, he's got his trunks on under. He's ready to go. What about That's a mouthpiece? Where's he going to get the mouthpiece from? It's in his breast pocket, my guy. That's where everyone keeps their mouthpieces while they're doing commentary. You've just thought of everything, haven't you? Uh, let's see here. Vinny Magalish quickly took down a lesser opponent and submitted him. I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. And then this from the Great Dane. I missed the first four fights waiting for my buddy with the tickets to show up. See, this is why we need the media credential. Yeah, get him in on time. But I hope I never get hit in the dick as hard as Tiago <laughs> Tavares must have been. Now, okay, that's got to be the ultimate triumph for Dundasso, is to kick a guy in the groin so hard you win the fight. Well, see, like, that's the whole point of Dundasso, right? I thought the point of Dundasso... At 50% of the time, if you commit a foul, they just say you win. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I There is there is a headline. I want to read to you a... Uh, oh, well, they changed the headline. Never mind. There, there was a, a good headline on MMA fighting uh, about, like... Tiago Tavares uh, getting kicked in the dick. But, man, it I can't imagine another sport with anything equivalent to this. Where you can commit what we all agree is a foul that ends the entire match. And then with a lack of like knowledge about what else to do, we just decide that you win. Come in, on. In the, on the Wikipedia page, it's referred to as TKO leg kick. Really? So I don't think that tells the whole tale. <laughs> in fact, there are so. three results in a row from this PFL event that are TKO, leg kick. Next one is TKO, leg injury. And the next one after that, TKO, retirement. TKO, retirement is one of my all-time favorite uh, just fight results. It, it just always looks so fun. But you're right. Yeah, I'm leaving, Even on ShareDog, they have it as TKO, leg kick. I mean, I guess that's how it would have to go down to give the guy the win, right? So we're... Uh, like, but that tells you something. If we have to lie to ourselves about what happened when we're writing down the result, maybe we have ourselves a problem. Next question this week comes to us from Dr. Joe Matchnick, who is an, uh, a celebrated figure in, in the annals of American soccer. Isn't he the guy who comes on to explain like some kind of FIFA rules during the World Cup? I believe so. I, cause it seems all weird that they always make sure they really lean on that doctor part. I was just going to say, if you, write into the, of rules. if you write into the co-main event podcast and identify yourself as a doctor, you better believe that we are Googling that name because <laughs> we know there ain't no doctors out here. Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And isn't that a good thing? The second season of Dana White's. See, every time I see this WTNCS, it takes me a second to figure out what it is. I always think Dancing with the Stars first. Yeah, because it is like a bunch of the same acronyms. But I think we at MMA Junkie have decided to call it Dana White's Contender Series. DWCS. Well, I mean, that's better as far as acronyms go, because this one is Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Yeah, see, that's too much. It's It's not like we're going to get it confused with the Dana White, like, the Wednesday Night Contender Contender Series. The second season of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series is upon us, and Greg Hardy controversy aside... We have an interesting season so far. Tough is on the way out. Countless poo-eating wild men are rejoicing. 
but there's a downside to that. As tough went on, Dana White had very little input on who got the contracts at the end of each season. With the Contender Series, Dana gives out the contracts to select win- winners like a sadistic Willy Wonka. Problem. <laughs> Dancing with the Stars premiered in 2005 and Big Brother in 1997, and the list goes on. Yet Mark Burnett isn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater just because his reality show Empire has been on wash, rinse, repeat for over 10 years. Knowing what you know now, would you go back in time and save Tough from extinction, or do you still welcome the DWTNCS? at the expense of heartbroken fighters who win their fights, uh, but n- not in just bleed fashion as Dana prefers. That's a good question. That's I how mean, you, no, that's, there's nothing that can make me lament the loss of the ultimate fighter. That's so how you let's, get the PhD, is the, with thoughtful analysis like let's this. Let's snuff that line of inquiry out immediately. I agree with that. Death to the ultimate fighter, and I'm in the streets uh, dancing with a, with a, with a, waving a flag over my head. <laughs> what does the By flag shooting say? my gun in the What air. kind of flag? Just a... A flag of rejoice. Okay, it says rejoicement on it. Uh, okay, it is a good point though that because I've noticed this too. Where if you go out there and they seem to have it in their heads that they're only going to give out so many contracts, and let's say everybody goes out there has an awesome first round finish, some hard choices are going to have to be right. made, and you get to see it where every once in a while you'll see somebody go out there, win, look good, and then end up sitting around in the break room waiting for the call that doesn't come, and then they just have to go home. Isn't it weird that they just sit in the kitchen? Yes. That's totally like, fucking weird. It's not like the UFC is hurting for money. It's not like they could put up a couple of curtains and like make it look like a green room. Right? Or throw a popcorn maker in there or something. Just have everybody come back out and like sit down and do like some kind of like formalized like halfway ceremony kind of thing where we announce who got the shot and who did Having them all just sit there in the break room is the weirdest shit ever. Especially because it's like somebody's just going to come in there and like stick their heads in the door and be like, oh, by the way, your dreams came true. Uh, yep, that's all. If it's me, if I'm fighting at the DWTNCS, I'm bringing a 12-pack of Kettle House West Coast IPA and throwing that shit in the fridge for afterward. Because I know I'm just going to be hanging out in the kitchen. You're going to have some time. Yeah. Yeah. Just crack a couple of those bad boys, you know, let the nerves die down a little. See, now you're just... Box full of ice cream bars in the freezer, I'm ready to go. Let's do this thing. Beer and ice cream bars seems like you've you've asked for trouble, but okay. Uh, I I think though, if you're a fighter, right, like weighing the the pluses and the negatives here, even if you go on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, DWTCS. <laughs> say you go out there, you win your fight, you make like your your ten grand or whatever it is to go out there and win, uh, and then they come back and they're like, oh yeah, well they gave the contract to some other people. Sorry. I mean, you did one fight. You didn't spend like six weeks or 12 weeks, whatever long it is, in the goddamn reality show house barely clinging to sanity. You didn't have to like make that huge time sacrifice only to end up with nothing. You still got your name out there. People know who you are. Now they, they kind of remember. You can always say, okay, you're that guy. The UFC knows you. You you have somebody fall out injured, which happens all the time. You might be on speed dial there. I still say this is a better deal for the fighters, even though there are bound to be some moments where it seems like you're ending up with undeserved heartbreak. Yeah, well, I I saw a headline this past week. I did not explore the story fully, but it sounded like a dude went on the uh, DWTNCS as kind of like his last hurrah of his career, ends up winning his fight, but then he doesn't get a contract. Right, and he retired. So he's kind of like, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. And if you'll recall... Forrest Griffin was basically retired before he went on the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. He was going to be like a police, a policeman in Georgia or something. 
Uh, and then he ends up winning the whole damn thing, too. He was a policeman in Georgia. That's right. Yeah. He had retired to do that, but then, like, decided to give MMA one more go and ended up, you know, having a long and successful UFC career. Yeah. It's like if you're uh, managing a tire shop and then the Cleveland Indians call, ask you if you want to be the manager, even though they have a secret plan to tank the team so that they can move it to Florida, you might figure, hey, this is my shot. Wait a second. Sounds familiar. Nope. Just made it up right now. Can't place it. Came it up right now, right? Just a purely hypothetical situation. Well, it's a heck of an analogy. Yeah. Either way. Next question this week comes to us from Ben LeBlanc, who I assume is a famous soccer player. Sounds like one to me. (laughs) Or a hockey player. Check it out. Regarding your commentary on why people are okay with Greg Hardy in the UFC, I think you're missing a big reason that I and many in my main MMA circle, the MMA Reddit, seem to have. That is the desire to see him fight Derek Lewis preferably as soon as possible before Greg Hardy can gain experience and possibly use his athletic advantage over someone like Lewis. I mean, come on. If I told you the UFC was letting Derek Lewis, hero to abused women worldwide, fight Greg Hardy, known scumbag woman abuser, you would say it was hashtag will watch. Uh, yeah, but that's not what's happening here. Because, like, I've seen this floated around, right? Yeah. And, 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 and Derek Lewis has already said that, like, this is something he wants. Obviously, he wants to fight Greg Hardy. Uh, and even when I did the story about Austin Lane, Greg Hardy's opponent that I wrote for Bleacher Report, like there were a lot of people that told me, you know, people are going to tune in to watch Greg Hardy because they want to see him get beat up, which is another way that you can be compelling, I guess, in mixed martial arts. However, let's not get it twisted as to what the UFC's plan is with Greg Hardy. Like yeah. the UFC's plan with Greg Hardy is to not feed him. It's not to feed him to Derek Lewis. Yeah, it's to do the exact opposite of that. Right. So, like, yeah. to kind of build him up. Also, let's let's not get so hungry for storylines that we are willing to turn domestic violence into just like a a piece of compelling fight hype. Right. That's a little troublesome. Because then we're just like, all right, next up, let's try to take uh, like a neo Nazi. And throw him in there against Derek Lewis or something. Serial murderer. I get, I get how you're saying that you feel like that might be satisfying in a way, but let's not just turn like, hey, you did a terrible thing. Therefore, it can be used to build you up uh, because people might want to see you get a violent comeuppance. That's that's not what we should be doing here. I've actually been thinking that about that a lot since last week, since we encountered the reality that like basically whatever you can do to make yourself uh stand out from the crowd is is a positive in the in the eyes of mixed martial arts like that we we had a conversation about it last week and then i thought about it all week and i have to say the more that i thought about it the more troubling it became to me because like it's it's uh it's an unflattering realization right that like kind of doesn't matter what it was that you did it only matters that more people know you now than knew you before because greg hardy is not interesting to the ufc because in 2014 he made the pro bowl right right? like he's interesting to the ufc because two years later he was convicted by a judge of two counts of domestic violence and that sucks yeah that's kind of shitty yes yes it is all right so let's have a moment of to let that sink in (laughs) jazz gonna bum us all out all right last question this week comes to us from dan prince i woke last night from a fever dream where my boxing coach kept yelling at me for not knowing all the brands of fight shorts being worn in the gym Then it says, parenthetically, don't ask. We won't. Yeah. And Mark Hunt happily worked for the Nevada Gaming Commission guarding the nickel slots. Okay. My own clear need for therapy aside, 
This got me thinking. <laughs> Other than the obvious commentator gigs and Brian Stan being the living, living embodiment of quote-unquote can't fail, which post-MMA retirements seem to have worked out the best for former fighters? Is it Dustin Hazlitt as an EMT? Cole Conrad buying dot 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 cow futures? Question mark. <laughs> Fedor's eventual ownership of the most terrifying ice cream store in Moscow. And which have been the most cringeworthy? GSP's acting career? Gina Carano's acting career? Ronda Rousey's acting career? Ooh, okay. I feel like Dan Prince might be trying to make a point about fighters and acting careers here. You know what the sad, another sad point here, Ben, is that like the, the we probably don't even know about the most positive MMA retirement because that person is just out there living their life, yeah, being successful. <laughs> That's right. Like plane lands safely is not a news story. So like, <laughs> uh, there's probably a bunch of people out there who've segued out of mixed martial arts and have made themselves competent professionals, and we're just never going to know about it. The ones that we know about are the ones that either like crash and burn or the ones that that uh make post-apocalyptic westerns that are fun to watch for like 15 minutes and then turn into a long slog to the end you know speaking of like the fighting careers one of the things that i found interesting reading that book about john l sullivan was talking about his acting career afterwards where uh he was not really a good actor but people thought people were a little bit surprised. They thought he would be awful, and he was not quite awful. And so they're like, "Oh, okay, this is a pleasant surprise." But people were buying tickets to go to the theater to see these plays with John L. Sullivan in it, just because, like, hey, it's the closest you might ever get to like a genuine superstar. So they'd go see it, and then his drinking would get out of control, and he would fuck up a lot in the plays, and the tickets sold even better. Because once word got out that you might buy a ticket to see this play with John L. Sullivan in it, and he might show up trashed and just fuck the whole thing up, people were like, well, I got to see that. And the only time it didn't really work was when they tried to take the show on the road. They went to Australia, and people were, for one thing, like, this guy's not even that famous here, and also, this kind of sucks. <laughs> But other than that, like back in America, people ate it up. The more the more of a shit show it was, the more people wanted to see it. And there's a there's a lesson for the current fight game in there somehow. You know, uh when I was doing my story about cheating in MMA that came out on Bleacher Report a couple weeks ago, I ended up I talked to Chris Tuscherer, because obviously he was uh the victim of one of the worst fouls in modern UFC history when Gabriel Gonzaga kicked him square in the pills at the beginning of their fight. Uh and Chris Tuscherer seems like he's doing great. Yeah. He's living in North Dakota, where he's from, and he owns like a farming supplies and like farm like chemical a, company. It's like a seed company, yeah. right? Yeah. They sell like seeds and chemicals. Uh, back when he was fighting as a former college wrestler, he was rolling around at like 260. These days, he's like a ripped 245 pounds. You see a picture of the dude, uh, and you can see a picture of him if you, if you check him out on Facebook. Uh, he looks better than he ever did as a professional athlete. And he, he made sure to tell me several times that he wants another shot in the UFC. It's funny. He mentioned that to me several times as well when I talked But to him. aside from that, it seems like things have worked out okay for him, considering yeah. that our lasting impression of him is a guy who got kicked in the dick at UFC 102. Also, if we're talking about like successful fighter retirements, I mean, Julie Kedzie retired and went to the Iowa Writers Workshop, so that's a pretty good one too. Yeah, that's she's, she's doing it right, yeah. for sure. Uh, Cole Conrad, who is mentioned in the email here, like also left MMA, but it, it kind of didn't always kind of seem like Cole Conrad always knew that he was going to do that. Like it felt to me like Cole Conrad was kind of in MMA. Uh, he's just dabbling in it is what it felt like. And then like he was basically because I got dabbling the, as the undefeated Bellator champion. Yeah, right. And then he was just like, all right, well, I did this for a while. 
now I will uh, take my birthright selling farm futures. Yeah, now it's time to go get serious. Yeah. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That's a ton of fun. It comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. Uh, the newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny, and if it turns out that somehow you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Donald Cerrone dropped a unanimous decision to Leon Edwards in the main event of UFC Singapore this past weekend. That drops the Cowboy, now 35 years old, to just one and four in his last five fights dating back to the start of 2017. Uh, Obviously, he gets on the mic after it's over and mumbles something about how the old dog is just going to keep fighting until they tell him no more. Uh... Number one, where are you at in thinking about Donald Cerrone right now? And number two, am I wrong to think that as we watch him out there with the with the like Chuck Liddell mohawk kind of thing going on and the big bushy beard, that it feels like he more than ever in a weird way is, is sort of like living up to the cowboy nickname, like the cowboy persona? Well, yeah, I mean, he showed up to the pre-fight stuff looking exactly like Kenny Rogers and the Gambler. So... I mean, before that, it was like uh, Southwest Shaman uh, walking in, like, draped in a blanket, kind of. Uh, So, yeah, he knows what he's doing as far as that stuff goes. Uh, It does feel to me, and I wrote about this a little bit afterwards, like, he has definitely settled into this phase of his career now that he's in his mid-30s, where it's pretty clear he's not going to get any more title shots unless something crazy happens and they need to call somebody up late notice. Like, you know, get like an ally, a Quinta style title shot. It feels like the days of him winning eight in a row and then getting to fight for the lightweight or welterweight title are over. Right. But now the phase that he's in is Donald Cerrone is the guy who can headline a fight card that has nothing going for it. And you need to have something. You know, even for a fight pass event in the middle of the damn night from Singapore, you got to have something so you can claim that this is still like a credible UFC event. Who can you get? You can get Don Cerrone, and he's going to go out there and he's going to give you something. He's going to give you everything he's got. He's going to uh, put some blood on the mat. He's going to get his licks in, even if he has to grab somebody's glove to do it. Uh, you know, there's going to be a little bit of all that kind of Donald Cerrone stuff you can come to expect, even if he doesn't win in the end. Uh, but hey, who kind of really cares? You know, not to keep talking about the cheating in MMA story that I wrote, but when I talked to Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture and he was talking about how much he loves grabbing gloves, like he just fucking loves it and does it to his own fighters all the time in training so that they will be ready for it to happen in fights. He said, like, if you grab a glove, what you want to do is grab the glove by the part at the top where it connects to the wrist. You don't want to grab it inside the fingers because the ref will call that. Yeah. But you want to do it Tim Kennedy style when Tim Kennedy grabbed you all Romero's gloves and Donald Cerrone did it the same way here. So, like, that's officially a thing. Well, yeah, and the way he did it, like, if you notice, he grabbed the inside uh, of, like, Leon Edwards' wrist kind of, pulled it pulled it down, throws the head kick at the same time. So 
from where the referee was standing, he couldn't even really see Donald Cerrone's fingers in the glove. And then Leon Edwards turns to the ref, like, right after getting a head kick. Like, kind of mid-head kick turns to the ref, like, are you seeing this? Yeah. You see what just happened here? So this, I mean, I guess we can talk about whether or not this is a breakout performance by Leon Edwards. But the moment that he gets kicked in the head and his only response is to turn to the ref and be like, hey, this dude grabbed my glove. And then... Uh, actually, might have been. I can't remember which which happened first, but he also flips off Brandon Gibson in the corner of Donald Cerrone after uh, a low blow. Leon Edwards gets some time to recover. Uh, Brandon Gibson, who's a, one of the main striking coaches over at Jackson Winklejohn, uh, says something to him, needling him a little bit, some mind games, and Leon Leon Edwards uh, flips him the bird. Uh, what does this win mean for him? Uh, for Leon Edwards, because it strikes me that we go back to the question we have asked before, where clearly they brought Donald Cerrone in to lose to Leon Edwards, kind of. Like, he, they needed his name on the card, but he's a two-to-one underdog in this fight. Leon there's Edwards, a future with Leon Edwards. Leon, is, Leon Edwards there's more is of a, a past young, with Donald Cerrone. He's a young guy. He's won five, now six fights in a row in the, in the welterweight division. Uh, it was kind of clear what was going to happen in this fight. But again, at the point that you've made on the podcast before, if you hide the fight on Fight Pass in Singapore in the middle of the morning here in the United States, like, what good does it do you? What does Leon Edwards get out of this win? Yeah, when you do stuff like this, it's essentially like you're running a tape delay thing for most people. I mean, the shit-eating wild men will get up and actually watch this stuff, which, again, we say for the 1,000th time on this podcast, the UFC does not deserve you as fans. Uh, But for most people, it's going to be kind of like, oh, yeah, I heard that one. How'd that one go? And you're going to hear the result before you really have a chance to right. see it. So you're going to hear Leon Edwards defeats Cowboy Cerrone via unanimous decision. Unless you hear a bunch of people being like, this was a crazy bloodbath. You got to see this one. You might not even bother to go look back and watch through five rounds of that once you've heard the decision. So, yeah, it, it is of questionable value to it. It's even more questionable for the people lower down on the fight card, like with something like this where you know Jessica I goes out there, gets a win over Jessica Rose Clark, and then just goes fucking overboard a little bit, declaring herself the greatest of all time or whatever, uh, and talking about how the UFC is to blame for putting her in the wrong weight class and making her doubt herself. And now here she has two-fight winning streak, and she's pretty sure she's the greatest and she's going to be the champ, but it's like... Man, who really is – there's not a whole lot of people up at 4 a.m. when this fight happens watching it. The other people who are going to see Jessica I defeats uh, Jessica Rose Clark by a decision are probably – that's probably not going to be at the very top of their list unless they were going to watch all these at, at a later date anyway. So that's the kind of person where I would really be upset about it by being like, hey, here was my moment. Did anybody watch it? Did anybody care? Or does it just get buried and people right. are on to the next thing thinking about UFC 226? Right. And Ovin St. Prue might be the guy who, like, is, is potentially harmed the most by that. You could argue he, maybe short of Leon Edwards, he has the best performance here. He goes out there uh, and submits Tyson Pedro after getting uh, clocked right in his face and dropped in the first round of their what, fight. Was that not just the most Ovin St. Prue fight? It was it's a hell only of a... three minutes and he did... Everybody did their stuff, Chad. Yes, yeah, everybody got to do their stuff. It's a shame, though, if that's where we leave Leon Edwards versus Donald Cerrone as a fight that, like, very few people are going to watch. Because this is, like, an intriguing fight to watch once you get into it. The uh, the pairing of the two kickboxing styles between Leon Edwards and Donald Cerrone, like the classic fight trope of, of young up-and-comer against old Lion. Uh, and, you know, just to see uh, Donald Cerrone get gashed open at the beginning and he kind of spends the rest of, of the fight bleeding all over himself. Like, this is a good mixed martial arts fight if that's what you're into. And, like, 
I guess it brings me back to the point that like this fight would have been better served as, for example, the curtain jerker at UFC 226 or like somewhere on the UFC 225 pay-per-view card. Because again, now we live in this world. Like, are we just creating content? Are we hiding the good fights? But see, that's exactly what was going to be my answer to that is the reason you can't do that is because you've already decided you got a date on Singapore that you need to fill for like, cause you, you've got some goals there in the, the market overseas. Uh, you're going to do it prime time there. Damn the, the fans back home. Uh, you need somebody over there so that it feels like a, a event worth watching. So you need Donald Cerny there. That's why you can't add him to like a make it a really stacked card later on. We, we've had this conversation before where the UFC has seemed to decide like, okay, we could deliver better fight cards if we did fewer of them, but we wouldn't make as much money. So therefore, we've decided to, to water it down because that's that's how you make you know two dollars worth of orange aid right. into like sixteen dollars worth of sales. Speaking of the Cleveland Indians, right? <laughs> right? Putting an inferior product out there to make more money. Uh, two final points before we move on to round number two. Leon Edwards calls out Jorge Masvidal on the mic after this fight. Although I will say after Dan Hardy immediately asks him any reason why, he says, no, not really. It's kind of the same <laughs> style as Donald Cerrone, the guy I just fought. So, you know, might as well call out Jorge Masvidal. Got to say something. And then Donald Cerrone comes out after the fight, kind of in an un-Donald Cerrone type admission and says... Uh, that he was so sick before this fight, uh, throwing up, couldn't get out of bed, just feeling like shit all morning, all day. I wasn't feeling like showing up to work, man. That's how I was feeling. But then I looked in the mirror and thought, you're not that guy. Just go. You know, one hates to read too much into pre-fight stuff. Did you get the sense from some of Donald Cerrone's comments beforehand that a part of him resents, like saw what was happening here and kind of resented it because... He keeps talking about like, hey, these guys, this guy wanted to run his mouth about me and, you know, talk all this shit about me to try to hype up the fight. It's unnecessary. And now I'm just kind of like pissed off about it. It felt like a little bit like it was hard not to for me to feel like he didn't really want this fight. Yeah. But, hey, you know, this is the job for him right now. This is the, the kind of work he can get. Uh, and But then he's going to be a little resentful that the guy is going to try to squeeze it for a little more like personal animosity juice. Yeah. When you know you have to go out there and, and probably take a loss against the young up and comer. Yeah, man. I have always thought that Donald Cerrone is a fascinating individual, kind of in spite of the fact that on a personal level, he's been somewhat problematic throughout his career. In terms of like just being, in terms of like what you see in the cage and the kind of athlete he is and how he runs his career. And if you could ever like sit down with him and get inside his head and get him to tell you about, like the truth, what he actually feels and what he's actually doing. He's on a really short list of people that I feel like would be one of the more fascinating people to hear that from just because of the way he's handled his entire career, the kind of character he is that he's got this gimmick where he's almost like above and outside the title picture. We've talked about this before that it doesn't matter if Donald Cerrone's not really uh, the champion. I don't even think it matters that he's one and four now, like that Donald Cerrone's next fight can be a UFC main event. And like, no one will say anything about it except what time is it? Uh, <laughs> so like, yeah, man. And like, you know, they talked about on the broadcast, he's got a, he's got a child on the way. Uh, he's 35 years old. Like clearly he's going to keep doing this as long as he can, but he said some things in the past that let you know, he's kind of like staring down the end of his athletic career. There's a lot of stuff going on with Donald Cerrone right now. And I didn't even mention the like kind of on again, off again, uh, resentment and, and like, uh, desire for fighters rights that he has displayed 
like every third day, let's say. Uh, so yeah, man, like I, I have no idea what's going on with Donald Cerrone, but if you told me that like, A, he needed the money and needed to go over there and fight and B, like thinks of this the way that we all think about punching the clock and going to our jobs, like I wouldn't be that surprised. I think we should end with this quote from Donald Cerrone that uh, was posted um, by my coworker, Mike Bond, as you like to call him, Mike Bone. Bad to the bone. This is from Donald Cerrone, a post-fight quote. On the first exchange, he banged me with a knee, cracked me right open. But it was good. It was hot blood down the side of my face, and I was like, motherfuck yes. In like a sick way, it kind of turned me on. Like, let's go, yes. It sucked. I got blood in my eye the whole, f- whole fight, but oh well. That's going to do it for round number one. <laughs> we'll be right do, are you back. fucking kidding me? No, we'll do it at the end of round two. Okay. We'll be right back with round number two. Jed, let me give you a quick rundown of what Bellator has been up to lately. Please do. First, we hear that Bellator is going to go on ahead and make that Rory McDonald, Gegard Mousasi fight. Yes. Then, Bellator announced that they signed Leota Machida, who right. exited the UFC on a two-fight uh, winning streak at the age of 40. Okay. Then, we hear, hold up, Bellator is working on another one of them tournament things, this one in the welterweight division. Bellator out here, Chad, making moves. Yes, they are. And you know what? It's somewhat, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but surprising maybe that Machida is the guy who washes up on the shores of Scott Coker's island because we spent a lot of the time on this show, you know, leading up to and after the Leota Machida Vitor Belfort fight at UFC 224, talking about how uh, Vitor Belfort was probably going to find his way over there to the senior circuit of Bellator. And so, like, when the, when the news, flashed up that it was Machida who at least first winds up in Bellator. I was surprised and kind of like the speed of it surprised me because that fight was not all that long ago. And then uh, May 12th. And then Machida shows up in Bellator quick, fast after that's over, which makes you think like, you know, maybe he was, maybe Vitor wasn't the only guy fighting out his UFC deal. uh, So he could go check out other offers. But it also strikes me that like Machida is one of these dudes, despite the fact he's 40 years old, that like, He's probably way better off in Bellator. Yeah. And he can fight in multiple divisions probably in Bellator. Uh, you can do a whole lot. Man, are we going to see Leo de Machida, Tito Ortiz too? Holy shit. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that they could do with him over there, which I think is kind of in stark contrast to where he would be in the UFC, despite the fact that, as you said, he had won two fights in a row. <coughs> uh, I doubt that he could get down to 170 for the uh, Bellator welterweight Grand Prix, but... I mean, you got to, you're, you're starting to stack up middleweights over well, there now, now. In case you wanted a clue about what might come next. Yeah. Now, well, but now, though, when uh, you don't have to worry about USADA, you can get on that DHEA weight loss of questionable weight loss value. Next thing you know, boom, welterweight. Maybe so. Maybe so. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that could happen here with Bellator right now. And for one thing, we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of, to go for a welterweight tournament because we've in the past, highlighted the welterweight division as one of the up-and-coming weight classes for Bellator where you can look at some of the talent that it has and be like, hey, wait a minute, maybe you do have some of the best fighters in this weight class, maybe not in others. But it's smart, I think, for Bellator to focus on like this kind of a tournament approach, doing something a little different, making kind of matches where people are going to sit up and take notice right away and the tournament is the thing that the UFC shies away from doing the UFC does not really like to do those tournaments except for like you know in the ultimate fight or that kind of a sense 
and has long resisted like the Grand Prix style thing. And so obviously that's a thing that MMA fans get super into, even when it ends up super fucked up and you have a bunch of alternates and it gets all like we kind of just expect that now. So we don't even get mad about it anymore. You make a, the heavyweight Grand Prix and you get more attention and like actual positive attention than you've gotten for basically anything else if you're Bellator. Makes sense to look, like look around at another weight class that you have and be like, where else can we do this uh, where we can actually have some fun? Welterweight, welterweight seems like a good idea to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you're Bellator, as we used to say under the Bjorn Rebney regime, the thing that you don't want in terms of top of mind awareness if you're Bellator – you don't want people's first thought to be, oh, Bellator, that's a shittier version of the UFC. Right. And so it's pretty smart, frankly, of Scott Coger to go out there and, and like try to do, like try to highlight the areas that the UFC has refused to highlight. And, and obviously doing tournaments is one of the best ways to do that. Uh, I mean, it's raised a ton of interest in the Bellator heavyweight division to have this heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, if you end up with a star-studded lineup at 170, uh, it could do the same thing. And it's also like kind of a veteran-savvy move to throw this welterweight tournament out there when you booked your welterweight champion in a super fight against the middleweight champion because, you know, uh, Musasi versus McDonald is arguably one of the best middleweight fights you can make right now in any organization. So Bellator should, by all means, go ahead and do it. And it's not as though there's now going to be a bunch of belly aching about what's going on at 170 if we're going to have the champ go up to 185 and, and fight Gegard Musasi because, well, we know what's going on in the welterweight division. It's going to be this tournament, which if they get the right guys to sign on for it, could be a, a a real crackerjack like a, and like a, frankly it's a, uh more relevant than the heavyweight division the heavyweight grand prix has been well okay let's talk about the heavyweight grand prix because another uh UFC name just entered the free agent pool fellow by the name of Josh Barnett who asked for and received his UFC release said that he did not feel confident going back into the USADA testing pool after all the problems he had with USADA, you can kind of understand the way he might have been feeling. Then he posts a, a statement. I don't know if you saw his statement. And it, it was full of the kind of like roving warrior Conan the Barbarian imagery that Josh Barnett loves to live by. Uh, but says he's out there like seeking new adventures and new battles. Meanwhile, there's a heavyweight tournament going on that's still in need of some alternates last time I checked. Do you see Josh Barnett ending up in that pool? Maybe it kind of I bet it would depend on the kind of deal that he could get out of Bellator because, you know, we talked about Cole Conrad sometimes feeling like he was only dabbling in mixed martial arts like Josh Barnett, while one of the best heavyweights in the world and at times arguably the number one heavyweight in the world throughout his career. Uh, he's a dude that that ha always has had other interests. And we know that about him. Uh, at times, it seemed like he could sort of take or leave his MMA career. And so, you know, if he says he's looking for new adventures, uh, th that's one thing, but we know that he is a pro wrestler and has a keen interest in that and has always been a star and is a marketable guy over in Japan. So like if he could strike some kind of deal where he could fight in Bellator and also, uh, wrestle for New Japan over there, maybe sneak in a couple of, uh, fights for Ryzen while he's at it. Barnett, Cup of Noodle Guys, New Year's Eve, 2018. It might make we'll all watch. the sense in the world and, and, I mean, we can look at the way Scott Coker has done business and, and surmise that he would probably give Josh Barnett uh, a good deal if, like, that's what it took to bring him over to Bellator. 
And the, those guys have history together as well. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you see Josh Barnett cross the aisle to Bellator and ultimately win the Grand Prix as a guy who fought in a different damn company when it started. That would be the perfect, <laughs> most fitting end for a heavyweight tournament ever. I mean, maybe we finally get that Josh Barnett-Fedor fight. Dare we dream it? I mean, why not at this point, right? And there's another fight for Bellator that everyone would watch uh, with an odd sense of, of intrigue about it. <laughs> okay, well, lastly, I guess before we move on, Danny Downs and I talked about this a little bit with regards to PFL, and I think you can ask some of the same questions about Bellator, where you see Bellator out here making moves, mm -hmm. doing some interesting stuff, putting on some interesting events. Uh, you could compare the UFC card in Singapore to the PFL card on Thursday night and be like, man, PFL put on a better show uh, with more relevant fights that was easier to watch, and yet does it matter? Are they gaining any ground on the UFC? Or is the UFC brand just so synonymous with MMA? And clearly the UFC brand is what you're selling to ESPN. You're not selling them any kind of like specific fighters or fights. You're selling them the power of this brand and the audience that will follow it anywhere it goes. Is it just so powerful that it doesn't really matter when Bellator starts, you know, doing better, picking, maybe even picking up some viewers or PFL starts doing better? They have, like each of them have, seized on these things that they can do to kind of set themselves apart so they don't end up being looked at as just a shittier version of the UFC. But is the UFC so ensconced now as the MMA brand that there is no catching it? Yes and no, I think. Like, it's hard to imagine a reality where any other company from America surpasses the UFC just because the stranglehold on the market is so tight right now. And frankly, for a while now, the kind of like the double-edged sword of the UFC's live event schedule is that it does so many events that it's hard to keep track, but it also makes you feel like you just don't have a lot of attention to pay to the other companies, right? Like in the rare instance where you get a Saturday night off, do you want to sit at home and watch Bellator? Uh, usually not. And so it's almost like apples and oranges, like the stuff that the UFC is doing, getting all this money from ESPN, uh, staging the the uh, myriad of fights that they put on. Uh, it's They're in a different league almost than any of the other companies, just with the, the business deals they're doing and the stuff they're concerned about. However, like we've talked about this at great length now, and I kind of hate to keep beating the same drum, but I think it's an interesting thing to contemplate. Like if the UFC signs this ESPN deal and it's just a glut of programming on television and content creation online, and it gets to the point that the UFC somewhat ceases to be the company that puts on cool fight cards, which is what it was to kind of like make its bones in the industry. The reason that the UFC is, has dominance over the MMA industry is because it had all the good fighters and it put on cool fight cards. If that is no longer the case, it is hard to imagine Bellator or the PFL overtaking the UFC in terms of, of prominence or money to be made. But like, if you can't even keep track of what is going on in the UFC, and yet if you click over to, you know, Paramount Network and Josh Barnett is fighting Fedor, well, fuck yeah, you're going to watch that. And I, you know, I don't know that the, that Bellator can surpass the UFC, but I also don't think all of these free agent acquisitions are meaningless. I think that like Bellator, despite the like sagging ratings and, and like maybe even questionable uh, financial situation, is doing good stuff right now. Uh, question about me switching over to the Paramount Network and watching Josh Barnett. Is the Kevin Costner ranching show a lead-in? Yeah, you're going to catch the last few minutes of Yellowstone. Probably okay. some guys fly fishing from horseback. All right. 
Yeah. So there you go. Nailed it. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll move on to round number three. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, this one's going to come off as a somewhat minor point, but stay with me. You remember Jake Matthews' last fight? Is that the one where he got his eyes gouged by Ling Jing Liang? That's the one. Well, yeah, how could I forget it? Fight of the night, even though, and Li Jingliang Li Jing gets a share of that fight of the night money, even though he stuck his finger like knuckle deep into Jake Matthews' eyes to try to get out of a guillotine choke. But Jake Matthews wins that fight. Uh, his very next fight ends up being at the UFC Singapore event, where he is on the prelims, buried right there in the middle of the prelims, uh, where he just trucks Shinzo Anzai, uh, chokes him, puts him to sleep in the first round, Looks great doing it. However, again, that one went off, I'm going to say, at about 3.30 a.m. here in the one true time zone. Just right there in the middle of a solid block of prelims, uh, you know, where it's like the you look at the, the names all around him and it's Yan Xiaonan, who does not have a Wikipedia page. Then Jake Matthews. Then Song Kinan does not have a Wikipedia page. You know, that's the kind of company he's keeping there. Meanwhile, you know who kicked off the uh, the main card? Li Jingliang, Jing Liang, who goes out there and beats Daiche Abe in a, a good fight, a fight where it looked like Jing Liang is going to put him away at several points, uh, doesn't win the unanimous decision, looks good, gets a, a big boost after that. But Chad, how does the guy who wins the fight between the two of them end up buried on the prelims of the very next fight card that the loser gets on the main card of, gets a little bit more of the spotlight, closer to the sunrise hours? And I realize you can make the argument that when it's all on fight pass, the distinction between prelims and main card doesn't really matter. But if I'm Jake Matthews, here's where I'm looking at what it pays to win and what it pays to lose and thinking, are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, Henry Cejudo is going to get his wish. He's going to get the rematch uh, with Demetrius Johnson as the co-main event of UFC 227 in August. And this week, talking to your colleague, Mike Bad to the Bone, Henry Cejudo has talked about his efforts to be a little bit more entertaining, to talk a little trash, uh, and to create a storyline around his rematch with Demetrius Johnson. And here's what he had to say. Okay. I come from the sport of wrestling, where there's nothing but respect on the mat. In MMA, it's a sport, but it's entertainment too. Look at Colby Covington. The guy can fight, and the guy can talk. To a lot of people, he just grinds people out, and many people consider him boring. But because he opens his mouth, people want to watch him fight. A lot of people want to see him win. A lot of people want to see him lose. There's more eyes on him. I've learned that in MMA, it's the entertainment side. I'm grasping that from now on. If I have to pick on somebody to get the fight, then that's what I have to do, especially for, for, for the flyweight division. I'm not a bad guy by any means, but everything needs to have a storyline. There's got to be a storyline to it. Are you fucking kidding me, Henry Cejudo? That's not the way you do it. You don't explain to everyone that you don't believe the things that you're saying, but you're going to say them because you want to create interest around your fight. You don't let people behind the curtain. You just say them. Have we learned nothing from Conor McGregor? Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, with so much going on next week in advance of UFC 226, we didn't want the undercard to get forgotten about because there's a lot of people on this card who might be of interest to the CME listening audience. You got Gokan Saki making his UFC return. You got Anthony Pettis. You got Uriah Hall. You got Mike Perry. 
Uh, the list kind of goes on and on here in a stacked UFC 226 card. But the number one fight, the most important fight that we didn't want to see get shortchanged, Ben, the big fellas. Francis Ngannou returns to the octagon to take <coughs> on Derek Lewis, who we talked about a little bit earlier in the show. This is a main card bout, of course, and it doesn't seem like there's any possible way that this could be a letdown, does it? Well, now you fucked it up. I mean, we said at the top we were going to curse this thing, so let's go straight for the jugular. <laughs> let's call this one an instant classic. Fight of the happens. year, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. You know, this is happening at an interesting time for both guys and at an interesting time in the heavyweight division because the winner of this is right back there in the mix. And yet, also, this feels like a just-for-the-hell-of-it fight. Like, it does not really feel like we're doing this so much because we looked at the rankings, we really crunched the numbers on this and decided, all right, this is the fight that makes makes the most sense. It seems more like that we looked at the people and styles involved and said, hell yeah, hell yes, we want that fight, and now we're going to get it. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm all for that personally, because you put this one on, uh, you know, as like the third fight down after two title fights. That's the one where I'm like, okay, now you actually earned the extra $15 in pay-per-view that you've been charging for no good reason whatsoever. Now it actually feels like it's worth it. Yeah. And especially for Francis Ngannou, who roared out to six and oh in the UFC, uh, and got the title fight against Stipe Miocic at UFC 220 and then just got dominated and ended up losing by unanimous decision in a way uh, that I felt like opened up a lot of eyes to the Francis Ngannou weaknesses out there in an MMA fight. Uh, and so he really needs to win this one. If you're going to go on being terrifying figure Francis Ngannou, you need to beat Derek Lewis in this uh, comeback fight at UFC 226. But isn't it still a heavyweight coin flip the way they, these kind of fights often are? Well, yeah, especially if they stand there and just punch each other, which I think is what we all expect. And that's the question I was going to ask you. UFC 220, Stipe Miocic seemed to drop the blueprint, if you will, for how to beat Francis Ngannou. It seems like it's out there. It seems like everybody knows it. It seems like it's the most obvious thing. And it doesn't feel like there's a chance in hell that Derek Lewis will use it. I tried him just now, as you were talking, I tried to picture Derek Lewis dropping for a single leg on Francis Ngannou, and my brain rebelled at the thought. It wouldn't. It would. It refused to conjure up the image for me. Uh, you know, I, I can picture all kinds of things. I can picture your head out on a spike right now on the front lawn okay, as the disturbing North Side neighborhood that descends into total chaos and anarchy. That's a disturbing image. And I, yet, I I can see it. I can just see your the pallor draining from your face as. Uh, the warlord of the north side takes over your home and has told you all this time that he tried to warn you with graffiti and you just wouldn't listen. I, this is just I can like, see the blood dripping from your eyeballs, and yet I cannot imagine Derek Lewis thinking, you know what? I'm going to back him up against the fence, then I'm going to dig for that double leg, put him on his back, and we're going to grind out a win. If you're Derek Lewis, in terms of your UFC career, in terms of your marketability, in terms of... Uh, where this is all headed for you. The guy, I mean, he, he already retired and unretired once, right? Is it better for you to, like, try to take down Francis Ngannou and, and beat him that way? Or is it better for you to just go out there, reach into your back pocket for your punches, throw heavy leather, and let the chips fall where they may? Throw them bungalows. That's what you got to be trying to do. You know, I wouldn't blame you if you're Derek Lewis if you think, like, hey, maybe I want to see round two before I really go for the finish here. Maybe Francis Ngannou will, will fade a little bit. Uh, 
But I think if you're Derek Lewis, what you tell yourself is, hey, I can take a shot and I'm going to be the more technical striker. Like he's like raw physicality and overwhelming power. I'm going to be a little bit more of a of technician and I'm also going to rely on having a whole bunch of damn concrete in my head. I think that's probably what you tell yourself as Derek Lewis. What I don't think you tell yourself is that you're going to go out there and ankle pick the son of a bitch. Gokan Saki returns to the UFC after his victory uh, over Henrique Da Silva back in September of 2017. That He, he ended up winning by a first-round KO, although a, a fight where maybe Da Silva uh, also got some stuff done and painted a picture for how you would, would maybe go about beating Gokan Saki. Uh, Khalil Roundtree is no joke. He is a uh, an actual formidable light heavyweight. Uh, he's coming off a loss that was overturned uh, for a, a positive steroid test to Michael. Go for it. Old Jack. You nailed it. Uh, and before that, had back-to-back wins over Paul Craig and Daniel Jolly. We buy enough more than we can chew for our guy Gokunsaki here, or do we expect another highlight reel knockout for the former kickboxer? Well, weren't we saying about Gokunsaki that whoever uh, he the UFC called to fight him next should interpret it as a sign that the UFC does not think that much of you? Yeah, it's not like they're calling you up to fight Gokunsaki because because uh, they want you to to knock him out in spectacular fashion. Yeah, so. That's the way I look at it. I look at it as the UFC saying, like, okay, Khalil Roundtree is somebody people might have heard of before, uh, has a little bit of uh, clout with the fans, but also somebody that it seems like Okunsaki could go out there and knock him out, and people will be like, hey, that was legit. If also, I-, I want to point out, looking at Khalil Roundtree's Wikipedia page, uh, the brief entry under personal life, this is, this is why I love Wikipedia for MMA fighters. It just says, Roundtree enjoys dancing and listening to music. He is a huge fan of the village people. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you very much for that personal information. That's taken from a Las Vegas Review Journal story. Yeah. That purports to tell us what Khalil Roundtree missed while he was filming Tough 23. The village people, go. apparently. The village dancing people. and listening to music is what he missed. Ben, if I told you that you, that you were not allowed to watch the pay-per-view portion of UFC 226, that you could only watch the UFC fight pass and Fox sports one prelims, which fight are you writing down as a can't miss must watch appointment viewing for Ben folks? This is the one you got to see. And this is for me as, as a guy who, who, which one of the ones I'm actually allowed to watch in your weird scenario. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then I got to say, you just did a long description of someone cutting off my head and putting it on a spike outside. My I can home. see it. So let's not pretend just... like the question that I asked you is the weird scenario of this round. I can just envision it. Your head out there. Oh, this this uh, also, podcast it, it, includes disturbing imagery. It, it feels kind of like uh, a premonition. I don't want to say I looked into the future. I feel like I had a vision there. Um, easy answer, though, for this question for me yancy madero's mike perry okay why because we're gonna throw the fuck down in that one yes we are no one's taking a backward step until somebody is asleep yes yes we are uh yancy madero's obviously coming off that loss to to donald cerrone and uh mike perry who just continues to get weirder and weirder just gonna be all mike perried out uh has those back-to-back losses to santiago ponzanibio and max griffin in his last two fights uh and again, I get a style matchup at this point that we feel like is the preferred Mike Perry style matchup. Right. Like it does seem like those two losses, especially uh, 
the book is out kind of on Mike Perry that you can see how that you can go out there and be plus the, you know, the other loss to Alanjo ban, but it seems like the UFC st- sat down, scratched the old thinkers and thought who will not try that game plan? Who will not even consider it? I don't know. Let's call up Yancey Medeiros. He, he's going to get easily baited into just biting down on the mouthpiece and saying, let's go, motherfucker. And then that's exactly the kind of Mike Perry fight that Mike Perry wants. There you go. All what, right, what's your answer to the question about which one? Oh, you, I, you nailed it. Like, there's that's the one. Yancey Medeiros against, against Mike Perry, for sure. I see. I had you pegged as the uh, groovy Lando Venata guy. Well, yeah, we'll drop yeah, our close. Well, I mean, that's that's one that not to miss. But I mean, if you only get one, Yancey Medeiros versus Mike Perry is your is your is your pick. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, did you see this headline oh, over there on uh, MMAfighting.com? Nate Diaz allegedly involved in brawl at a Sacramento jiu-jitsu event. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess this week, I'm just saying, okay, guys, (laughs) we get it. We understand what you're all about. Maybe tone it down. Tweet from Seth Daniels on the scene at the the jujitsu event. It says, so Nate Diaz just whooped a dude's ass in the crowd at F2W Pro 77. Like whatever that is. Jiu-Jitsu... Fight to win. Okay. I was going to say Jiu-Jitsu tournaments are out here naming themselves like it's fucking computer code, I guess. Uh, Lesson. This is from Seth Daniels. If you are going to talk shit to Nate Diaz, he will beat the shit out of you. Lesson learned, I guess, at the uh, (laughs) F2W Pro 77. You know, if there's something that's more like slightly embarrassing for a pro fighter than getting into a fight at an event where you were just like a spectator, you were not involved and you get into a fight at the crowd. It's getting into a fight at a grappling event. They don't even allow punches in the actual competition. You're going to be out here punching fools in the crowd. Who's seeing the Diaz brothers around and being like, yeah, I'm going to talk shit to this guy. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. It seems like a great idea. Check out this pussy Nate Diaz. I'm going to let him have it. I'm just saying. Yeah. Chad, my just saying stuff, Rashad Evans announced his retirement today. I saw that. Uh, A quote here, it's hard. I don't want to go out losing or nothing like that, but at the same time, it's what I need. It's what I need to do because I feel like I have other things in life that are calling me to go too. I thought how hard it would be for me to say these words or really make a statement about it, but I needed to. It's part of me healing and just accepting the what is. I can't fool myself any longer about it. I'm just saying, Rashad Evans, as we mentioned before, seemed like he never quite got his due from MMA fans. Now he'll retire, assuming this sticks, uh, on a five-fight losing streak with a record of 19-8-1, former UFC light heavyweight champion, uh, a tough winner back in the days, back when that seemed to mean a little more. And now he rides off into the sunset, remembered by the people, it seems, who actually knew him as a, as a good dude and a good fighter. I'm just saying... I know that everybody looks at the end of the career and they think like, okay, you you go out on this long skid and it looks kind of bad. But to be able to have that kind of honesty and not do the, I'm going to continue slugging it out in minor shows all over until I'm in my mid-40s kind of thing. And then just kind of admit to yourself that the inevitable course of time has, has taken its toll. I'm just saying... That seems like exactly the kind of reasonable thing I would expect Rashad Evans to come to, the reasonable conclusion stated well there. And uh, 
I also expect that, as usual, it will go underappreciated in MMA circles. I'm just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to look ahead to Red, White, and Fight Week, including Brad Tavares versus Israel Adesanya in the main event of the Tough 27 finale, and then the big dog, UFC 226. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. I can't even imagine who would talk shit to the Diaz brothers besides, like, another Diaz brothers. Like, bizarro Diaz brothers are out there, and for whatever reason, they didn't get their shot in the UFC, but they're like, fuck Nate Diaz, man, I'll take him out. Maybe like, Who else would think that? Maybe you and your boys have always thought of yourselves as the Diaz brothers, and then you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and you find out you're not. I mean, yeah, it sounds like a wake-up call to me. 